Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here, and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. In this week's episode of the podcast, I've got a very special guest. So this is a guy who I met back in 2017 when he was sitting on the front row of an event in London that I was speaking at. And he was kept putting his hands up. I'll never forget the day. He kept putting his hands up and asking all these questions. And um, at the time, he didn't have much experience in his property, but he was starting to build his journey. So I thought it'd be worthwhile getting somebody on who um, I've watched over the last two to three years build their property business and and their knowledge and experience in property. So um, really pleasure, great pleasure to have online somebody who is not just a property investor, but he's also a deal sourcer. So he's, and he sources creative property investment deals in and around London. And also he's the host of the Progressive Property Network in Blackfriars. He co-hosts it with me. So I run that event with him, but he's typically the person that's there every month and I work from home. And that for many of you may know who have been to Blackfriars, it is indeed Mr. Graham Page himself. So welcome Graham and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey Kevin, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, so Graham, as I said, I met you way back in in beginning of 2017 at that Multiple Streams of Property Income event in London. So just for anyone who's listening in, um, just tell them a little bit about what your experience was in property before you attended that event and what you were doing in property and um, so why you decided that you wanted to get into property at the time. Yeah, so what, what, what actually happened in terms of the, the backstory was uh, um, at that time I was working for a big pharmaceutical company on a multi-million pound project. And I, and I basically got spat out of that project and ended up um, in depression, having depression, counselling, etc. And literally had a, had, a, had, a, had a breakdown. And um, really that was for me was the catalyst to understanding actually my company didn't love me and my company wasn't going to look after me and I had to stand up on my own two feet and, and I couldn't rely on the company going forward for my life and the way I wanted to live and the things I wanted to do. Um, so, what, so I went to Masopi in, I think it was, I think it was February um, 20, yes, 2017. And as you say, I, I sat there, I was, I was looking for something to, which could help me um, take take that I could do while doing my job because I love my job and I'm good at my job but also not only something I could do but also something I could do part-time and then move into it into the future and I sat in, in that room in, in multiple streams as you say you know listen to all the speakers like Kevin Paneskis and, and, and yourself and, and Jamie Medill talking about homes and multiple occupations and I loved what it was telling me. I, you know, that there was another way to do things. At that time, I had no property experience. I, I had absolute zero. I was a homeowner, um, like most people. Um, I had some equity in the prop in my own property, but I didn't know that there was another way and another different ways of actually making money through property. I'd heard I'd heard about buy to let, but I never knew what the hell it was, or how, let alone how you do it let alone the mechanics of it or anything else like that. So it was all completely new to me and I was a complete, complete newbie in that stage. Okay. So what, so then what did you do after that event? Um, what, what was the next step you took in your journey? Well, I, well, the first thing that I did is I, I actually, I, t I took 
action and I made a decision. And what I did at that stage is I actually went and I, I purchased one of the courses, which was the Rent to Rent No Money Down course, which was which was by yourself. And um, I'd always remember because what you said is because uh, uh, I bought this on I bought it on one of the days and you gave me a hug and you said this is going to change your life forever. And you know I I must say Kevin, and I, and I hate to say this for those of you know Kevin, this is one of the worst things to say to him because he'll never get his head out the door. Kevin, you were right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has changed my life and and everything. So I, you know, I want to thank you for that. But the key thing is, you know, you you have to take that action and you have to make that jump. And I went on your on your on your course in March of 2017, and I sat in the room and I was absolutely blown away, absolutely blown away. That was actually I remember that training more than any because, or as much as any, because it was actually my first full event. So I'd ran a test event in the January of 2017. Mm. So my journey was I came to Progressive 2013, 2014, and I did my trainings, and then I started implementing creative strategies. And I was asked if I would teach what I did to other students, um, and I ran a a small little test event in January 2017, and then it was March 17 that I ran my first full event. And you were obviously one of the attendees on that event. So it was that your start in, in your property journey, but it was, my, it was my start in teaching people about what I did in property. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a, a fundamental moment for both of us in our journeys as well. Yeah. Um, as a result of that training, so I guess you, obviously you've got educated in property. What are our listeners listening in thinking, what should they do on their journey and stuff? And um, I guess they want to know results. So what results have you had? You started off, you were a homeowner, you were in a corporate job, you came along to that event and you went and did the nominee down training. What results have you had since? So since, since then we've done, uh, done over three, over 18 deals, um, own or control over a million pounds worth of equity now. And on the properties that we've got at the minute, because what happens with, with rent, with one of the strategies that you teach, Kevin, rent to rent, is you often hand your properties back after the, the contract period is done. So the properties that we have at the minute, and we've got nine live at the moment, um, the, of those, we're getting between three and a half thousand to four thousand pounds net on those. And we specialize in rent to rent um, HMOs or homes and multiple occupation, because for us in London, they work really, really well. Okay, so for anyone listening in, when you say net, you mean um, after all your costs. So that's your profit per month after all cost. Yeah, so that's after all management costs. That's after that's that's money into our into our into our bank. And for those that you know, you don't think that rent to rent works in London. I'm afraid that it absolutely does. It, you know, we managed to do with my JV partners. We did five in five months back in just before January, and even through COVID, now they're still they're um, they're still full. So we so it does work pre COVID and it does work post COVID as well. So. For me, you know, we're, we're getting typically we target £750 a month net profit per property. And, and we've got a number of those now. So people who say it doesn't work in London, it does work in London completely. You touched on, you touched on JVs there. And yeah. I'll talk a little bit about joint ventures because when somebody listening in might be thinking about the numbers and thinking, oh, three, and a half, three to three and a half grand a month nine live deals, 750 a deal. The numbers don't really work, but actually you're joint venturing. So you're splitting your profits that, with somebody else as well. Um, so who, joint ventures, how important do you f feel that they are? Um, how many JV partners have you had? Have they all worked out? Yeah. Um, a lot of questions there, I guess. And the main one is in 
if you want to roll it into a, a, an answer to the audiences and um, your key lessons of joint venturing, like what's gone wrong, what's gone well, and um, the benefits of joint ventures, I guess. Okay, so I think you've got you've got so so for me, JVs are, are really essential because what you know, I, I I'm still in my full time job and I absolutely love my job and I'm building my business while I'm in my job. And the only way for me to do that is actually through the joint ventures. So as, as I've told Kevin before, you know, and people look at me as if I'm completely mad, I absolutely love property, but I hate two things. And one is tenants and the other is estate agents. So people go, well, how the hell then do you do that? How can you negotiate with tenants or go direct to vendor or estate agents when you don't particularly like them or you're in a full-time day job? And I say, well, Actually, and, and apologies and apologies to all the state agents that are listening in. He doesn't mean he hates you. He just means he hates the process, I guess, of yeah. speaking to agents, yeah. dealing with agents. Yeah, if I ever but, walk uh, into your room, I'll, I'll just get on the grovel mat, yeah, and say I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, but I get my joint venture partners to go there and to do this, to do that. They, I use them and they to do the things that I can't do. So my the, the portfolio that we have in London, it isn't actually in the area that I live. So because I'm working full time, I don't have the time to go to see the estate agents or check the tenants in or do the inspections on the property. My JV partner does that. And that for me is really good because what it means is they're putting some stuff in and doing the things that I can't do. And I'm putting some stuff into the relationship as well, which allows me to do things that they can't do. So it goes to 50, it goes 50, 50. But what you've got to do before you've got to go into that relationship is I see too many people jumping into bed with each other too quickly. You've got to sit down and work out yourself. What are my key skill sets that I actually have? What am I offering to a JV partner? You know, is it time? Is it money? Is it flexibility? Is it experience? What am I bringing to the party? And more importantly, what are they bringing to the party as well? Because you don't want two people that both love doing sales or speaking to estate agents because then you won't have people to set the processes up or to do the marketing or to do the check-ins or to do the boring ad work and the contracts and things like that. It doesn't work. So you really want two sets of people that have different skills. So one of the things I have at the minute with one of my, with one of my JV partners at the minute is she is absolutely bonkers mad creative off the scale in terms of her creativity. And that's what I, that's her zone of brilliance. My zone of brilliance is putting in place the systems and processes and going, how the hell do I turn those great ideas into something that can run in the business? So we're very different and that works really, really well because we're not stepping on each other's toes. But you've got to go into it and write down heads of terms and say, right, what, what am I doing in the business? What are you doing in the business? Where are we both adding value? Where, what are the things we like doing? What are we don't doing? So you've actually got to look at yourself and go, what am I offering here for a JV partner? Is it that money? Is it the time? Is it experience? And unfortunately, just like a marriage, you have to look at what's it going to happen if it does go wrong. And you do have to look at the, what is my exit strategy? If it does go wrong, how do we break them up? And a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but you must do that because, you know, you, you can plan too many, too many people plan for the best and hope for the best when you should actually be planning for the worst and hoping for the best because you go into the relationship and it's or something that goes wrong that you didn't expect. You don't know what you do. And then you find out that they potentially don't have the same values as you or the same direction of travel that they want to be you know in terms of getting who get, so conversations like who's who would like to get out of their job first 
Who's that going to be? Oh, I thought it was me. I thought it was you. you people have arguments over that. It's like a marriage. So you've got to go into that. The, the, but the key thing I think is I couldn't do what I do now without my JV partners. And, you know, we've got one of the deals that, that I'll tell you, I think Kevin will ask me about later, but that's all through a JV of a different type where they're just putting money into the deal and we're giving them a return on investment. And they have the, the property there is actually their first charge. They have good security on that. That's one form of JV. But I couldn't have done that deal without them coming into the party. So for me, having 50% of something is, is more important than having 100% of nothing. And with other people, I can go faster and I can get more deals done through, through working with other people. So as a result, my business can scale faster. Too many people will sit there and just go, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to keep it myself. I'm going to do it all myself. And then they wonder why they're, you know, they're working 16 hours a day on top of their day jobs or they're, and they're not getting anywhere and they're getting frustrated. When you can, you can work with other people, share the profit, share the fun, have the conversations with them, and you can actually keep going. My, my, wife, my wife calls um, my business partner my, my, my second wife because she understands me. And she, and she goes, whenever I speak to my wife, she goes, oh, will you stop talking about that property shit? And starts falling asleep on the sofa. With my business partner, I can talk to her, you know, for two hours and still not, and we still haven't just talked about enough stuff. So we speak every other day. And so, so it's, it's amazing to share that with somebody than trying to do it with yourself. Especially when you start second guessing yourself and going, oh, am I doing the right thing? Oh, is that right? Should I be doing this? Having somebody to bounce those ideas off in terms of a JV partner is absolutely, um, you know, it, it's, it's brilliant. It, it, and it's really key for actually driving you forward. I've got lots of questions coming out of that. And a couple of is from, from our audience. So a lot of people listen to the podcast and maybe they've, they've tried JVs in the past and they've not quite worked out. Yes. And they're maybe thinking, I'm not going to do that again. Mm. Or they've um, thought, thought to themselves maybe, what is a JV? Can I JV? I'm not sure if I want a JV, etc. Um, so I joined Venture with somebody else. How do I trust them? How do I know it's going to go right? Um, but what would you say to so somebody who's never joined Ventured and were thinking, is it right for them or not? And then what would you say to somebody who has maybe done it in the past but made a mistake? And have you had any JVs go wrong? And um, well, how did you deal with it? How did you move on? Yeah, uh, so... I have had JV partners go wrong. It's a bit like when you try out and go and get a, the first time you try dating and you go out for the girlfriend and um, you start going out with her and then you find out that they're actually not quite right for you. And it's like, ah, we, 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 that happened about the first 29 times I went dating. <laughs> yeah. They found out I wasn't quite right for them, supposedly. Yeah. So, 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 so sometimes, you know, you, you do find out that you're not aligned or your, or your goals or objectives are aligned. So, Really, you have to do the due diligence on the people up, up front. And you have to sit there and go, like, like getting married, do I want to work with this person? Do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Are they going to try and screw me over? Are, the, are our values aligned? These are the really key things that you want to be asking because you don't want to, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly want to work with somebody who's a pain in the ass and winds me up all the time and, uh, and tries to double question me about what I'm doing. They, they see me within the relationship as adding value and are really clear about what I do and, and what, I, what I can add. 
and I'm really clear about what they what they can bring and what they add. So we actually have mutual respect for each other. When it goes wrong, you know, if you don't have those contracts and those agreements up in front about how you would actually set things up and what you would do and who's doing what and what's the split of the business and who owns it, etc. When should you come to a breakup? Um, then what happens is it's, it's hard to get out. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is, is actually go, I've lost money on this deal. I've lost money on this. I am just going to walk away. But sometimes that is the best thing you can do. And you can't let your pride in. And sometimes you just, you just got to walk away. One of my, no, I'll be honest, one of my JVs, I walked away with 15K lost. And people will go, shit, Graham, that's a lot of money. And I will say, that is the best 15K I ever spent because I will never make those mistakes again. And that is the best thing that I ever did. And I look at it and go, okay, from a learning process, that is absolutely amazing. I've learned that. Will I make more than that money back on all my other deals in the future? Hell yes, because I'm not going to make the same mistakes as I paid before. So you can either learn through your own mistakes and pay through the nose like I did, or you can learn through other people and other people's mistakes and actually learn from them. You know, for example, some of the stuff you, you taught us on, on your course, Kevin, was that I actually ignored because I'm a silly sod, <laughs> you know, and I, I, didn't, I didn't do what you told me to do. And that's cost me 15K. So you, you learn from other people's mistakes or you make it grown and it's really expensive. I always say to people, um, you pay for your education one way or the other. You pay for it through aligning yourself to people who've walked the road before you stop making the mistakes you pay for yourself pay for it through mistakes and it's really good of you to come on here and be honest that you actually ignored training and made mistakes anyway because here's what's the thing there's a lot of people that do this they go on a training course to learn and then they ignore parts of the training and they do it anyway yep. the wrong way. now that that is in all due respect the definition of insanity <laughs> because if you've learned it and then you've implemented some of it but not listened to everything it is very important, whoever you have that teaches you, it is critically important to follow what they tell you, to not make the mistakes. I had a coaching call this week with somebody, and I make it very clear on my training. You do not lend money on a personal guarantee. You lend it with security. Mm -hmm. And they still lent money to somebody with a personal guarantee. And yet, the, even though they were told not to, because they thought, well, it looked too good. It looked like a good opportunity and it was something they didn't want to miss. But if it looks too good to be true, generally it is. Yeah. So make sure one is don't make your own mistakes. Learn from other people's. But number two is when they tell you what to do to keep you safe, listen to them. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give, Graham, to anyone listening in on the back of that to keep themselves safe in joint ventures? <laughs> Very, very simple. Get some education and listen to the experts and work with the experts who do this day in, day out. You know, so, so you know, for example, in, in my day job, I, I do outsourcing and, and supply chain. So I help people actually do how they outsource their business. I wouldn't come to Kevin to do outsourcing because Kevin doesn't know anything about outsourcing. And if you're doing that yourself, you know, you go to the expert, you pay the money for the expert for the years of experience. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go to, for example, you wouldn't go to, um, onto YouTube and do surgery on your leg. You go to a proper surgeon who's actually spent years and years of, of, of education and training and practice to do it, who knows how to, 
to do to do surgery on a leg. You wouldn't get there with a kitchen knife and a YouTube video doing it. So a lot of you, you could, so the advice is go to the experts, get some education, get some training from the people who are actually doing it and have made the mistakes so that you don't have to. Because if you don't do that, what's going to happen is you will pay through your nose like I did by not listening to what I was told I should have been doing, thinking I knew best. I It cost me a lot of money. But if you go and actually listen to these people who, as I say, are working and doing it now, they will tell you the right thing to do and they'll guide you and advise you. So you don't make expensive mistakes like I did. So, and, and property is about a people business. And you mentioned there that I don't know anything about outsourcing, but I stand, the reason Graham said that is I'll stand on stage and say, I don't know anything about outsourcing. I know how to negotiate property deals, market property deals, secure market de- property deals, creative and property when it comes to outsourcing, like admin stuff, I'm not interested. So what I actually did, Graham, when I met him, he said to me, he mentioned that he was an outsourcing expert and that's what he did in his, in his job. So I gave him my outsourcing. Yep. <laughs> it's about a people business. Mm. And the people that you meet along your journey in property, they could be students, they could be teachers, they could be um, estate agents, etc. The people you meet, they all become part of your power team. Yeah. And if you're trying to do this, you are going to struggle to do it alone. You need different types of people in your business. Then quickly let go of the things that you don't like doing or that you're not good at doing and hold on to the things that make you money and the things that you enjoy in your business. Because there's not enough time in the day to do everything. You've got to give away the things that you don't like. And joint venturing, Graham. So you mentioned a few bits there about joint ventures where um, you've had good JV partners, bad JV partners. One of the biggest mistakes I see with people is they pick a JV partner who is exactly like them. And then they both end up doing the same things. Um, Your JV partner that you're working with at the moment in London. So are you complete opposites? Have you got some interest together? You both love property, obviously, but I mean... Are you opposites in what you love about property, or are you very similar? You know, oh, we're 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 we are completely different, absolutely different. So, my my business partner, she's the creative one. So she she comes up with these, she dreams up these crazy ideas of how we can do things, how we can find properties, how we can get to vendors and do estate agents, and how we can make deals work. So, you know, an example is we went round to look at a property the other day with a a lady and I'm standing there going, yeah, this isn't a deal. And and she was going, actually, this is a deal because we could do land grab from here, land grab from here, here, take those garages and bing, 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 bing. And I'm sitting there going, how the hell did you work out all of that sort of stuff? It's because she has got this way of just looking at stuff. Me, you know, I'll come back and I'll analyze the deals. I'll put the systems and processes in for our, for our deal machine and, and uh, doing our black box for the deal sourcing. But she finds the creative, the create does all the creative stuff. And my role in this is to actually try and make that into the operations of the business so that we can then start cranking through the deals. So, you know, we spoke about how do we actually find deals. At the minute, we're looking at nearly, nearly 4,000 deals um, every month now through a different number of ways, ways, et cetera. And we can filter those out really quickly. And then that allows us to say, these are the ones that we want to target. But we couldn't have done that without the joint venturing together because she had the creative way of doing it. And I had the skill and the knowledge of the operations of how to make it happen on a day-to-day business, on, on, on regular business. Now, you've said we're looking at 4,000 deals a month. Mm-hmm. And people listening in thinking, geez, I can't even view two. 
you don't actually mean view 4,000 no. deals a month. No, we don't. So, so, there, so there, there is a sort of a process that you follow. So there, when we say that, we're looking at 4,000 properties on Rightmove or Zoopla. And then typically what would happen is we then put that through our deal analyzers, which then actually say whether or not there's a potential deal here or not. There's about 16 different criteria that we actually we, we put through in terms of saying whether it's a deal or work or not. And then what we do is we then start contacting direct vendor or estate agents. So of those 4,000, we're typically looking sort of 60% won't work. And then by the time you get down to actually speaking to the estate agent or, or vendor, either the they're overpriced or they're not motivated enough to sell or they're not ready to sell at this point, et cetera. So of those, we're seeing roughly about 400 a month in terms of which are potential flyers that we have offer on, offers on. Okay. And then when you say we, is it just you and your business partner that's analyzing 4,000 deals or how many do you <laughs> physically analyze yourself? Uh, so um, I personally look at zero. My business partner looks at zero because, again, we've got all this outsourced because what I've done is I within our black box, we've systemized it and outsourced the whole thing. And we use virtual assistants and software to actually filter through that. We have set criteria, et cetera, which allows us to do that. So instead of sitting and going through Rightmove or Zoopla ourselves, we have, uh, we're now setting up a team of a couple of people who actually do this for us so we can start cranking through numbers. Another thing that we do is we've got all of the lists for HMOs in London every single one and that's how we then can target all of our homes and multiple occupation license holders to say you know what are you doing with your property would could we take that on as a rent to rent give you give you uh, look after your property for three years and 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 help you out so we're we're really scaling now and finding lots of deals in in, in london you know and, it, and it's but it's not just that sort of thing but we know we found we're finding short leases in there we're finding um, flats we can do one to two bed conversions we're finding land on the side things where you can add value because at the minute in the market where things are things are tough too many people look at the properties which 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 just go oh that's not that's not a deal but what what you the what the training you gave us kevin was that we don't look at a single property and go oh this is right for a, a buy refurb refinance or, or a single let we have a toolkit that we get from the No Money Down course, which allows us to look at every single property and every deal within six or seven or eight different ways of how can we potentially monetize this while giving the vendor the best amount of money so that they can move on in their life. We're not interested in going in there and actually going 30% below market value. We're not in, we don't do below market value deals. What we do is we do... Finding deals whereby you can actually add value, give the money to the people, the amount that they need. You know, we, we had a call the other day from a lady. She rang up and we said, you, you, you're not one of these fast sell companies. They give me 30% below market value. And we said, no, if the property is right, we'll give you 5 to 10% more than your asking price. She nearly fell off a stool because mm. we're doing something different and we're doing something creative. And we've got below. loads of those in, in, in the department. Below potential future added value. Yes. And then the beauty of that is, so, so I'll, I'll tell you one about one of the flats we did. So we bought it for 160000 And it's when we remortgage it in the future, it will be worth 380000 because we saw the potential in that property. And we knew how to, um, to actually get, get that through and make the changes. But again, that's part of having the right power team in place.
So like I say on the training, you got to look for the money. Where's the money? Where's the, where's the angle on the deal? So where was the angle on this one? Where was the money hidden within the property? So, so the money hidden on that property was, was, actually, was actually in two places. This one had a short lease and short lease extensions are very technical and very difficult to do actually. So when you have a short lease flat, if it's less than 65 years or so, it's actually not mortgageable. So the people, when they came to actually remortgage it, couldn't remortgage it. Um, and as a result, it has to be a cash purchase. So what we did is we worked with another investor who's put in all of the money, not only for the, to, for the purchase, for the cash purchase, but also the lease extension and also the refurb. Because So we're also doing a one-bed to a two-bed conversion on this as well. So it's a lease, lease extension, plus a one to two bed. And as a result, it's a no money left in deal. When we refinance it back out onto a buy-to-let mortgage at 75% buy-to-let, there is none of our money left in, or there's very little money left in. And across London, we, you know, on a 400,000 pound property, we're looking on our, on our deals to leave 10,000 or 20,000 in maximum, like less than 5% money in. And that's what the sort of thing that we do with the creative deals, which, which, which we learned at the start through your, through your training, Kevin. When you said there, Graham, just for everyone listening, that short leases are very technical and very difficult to do. I just want to clarify a little bit for the audience as well, is that when, what Graham means by that is if you've got this property on the market for 160 grand, 99.9% of people in the country will have no idea how to do that deal because they've not got the right knowledge. They've not got the right education. They're trying to buy it with a mortgage, but they can't because it's got a short lease. A lender won't lend on it. And then even if they did buy it cash, they could purchase it for 160 grand cash. Then you're not allowed to extend the lease for about two years, yeah. which means thinking, I can't buy it. I can't leave all that money in there for two years. So you use a creative strategy, something like an assisted sale or a lease option or a creative an exchange lead completion and a creative no money down strategy to control the property while you extend the lease, add the value, etc. So just want to clarify the audience. It's about the, everything is difficult until you know how. But once you know how, it becomes a cookie cutter yeah. that you can use over and over and over again. Um, so as your, I get on that question, Graham, is your plan to do more of these? <laughs> uh, yes, would be stupid. You know, we, we've got we've got another. We've got uh, at the minute in the pipeline, we've got about twenty-two of these, and for sale as part of our deal packaging business at the minute, we've got one up in Harlow. Again, this is a no money left in deal. Absolutely no money left in on a one bed flat in Harlow. You're sourcing so many deals, Mum. You actually sell deals on to people as well. Yeah, because part part of the challenge that people have is that they don't know what they're looking for, and they don't know. They get bored of looking through Rightmove and Zoopla, and then they can't speak to the estate agents. So what? We, so, so what we do, just like outsourcing, you when when you want, as I said earlier, if you want to have leg surgery done, you outsource that to a surgeon to get that done. People should go. I'm actually going to pay somebody to go find me the deals that work for me. And that's what we do because we've got the skills, the experience, the knowledge and the scale to do that. Now, a lot of people moan about spending 3000 or 4000 or whatever it is, but they don't. But what they're doing is they're getting like a meal cooked for them and served to them. They don't have to go out and buy the goods. They don't have to go into the kitchen and work out how to use the hob and, and then all the bits and pieces. It's all done for them. So for, in the market. it's market yeah. and it's fair exchange of time, money and effort for, for a deal. 
when you've got your marketing right, you're going to bring in more deals at once than you can actually cope with yourself anyway. Exactly. So that's why, you know, we're, we're, we're doing more and more in London. As I said, we've got the HMO list for the all across London. We're, we've, tar- we've started targeting all of those. So, you know, we, we, we've got too many deals. So if anyone would like to come along and actually have some deals in London for them, um, am I allowed to say where they can find me, Kevin? Would that be all right? On, I was going to ask you at the end where people can get in touch with you, but you can tell them now. So where are you online? Or? Yeah, the, the, the best place to get us is um, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y hyphen London, sorry, B-I-T dot L-Y slash London hyphen sourcing, S-O-U-R-C-I-N-G, or find me on Facebook. B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Bitly, sorry, bit.ly forward slash sourcing no, hyphen London, London hyphen sourcing. Sorry, bit.ly forward slash London hyphen sourcing. Yeah, and, or, and you'll put that in the in the notes as well. Otherwise, or, find me on 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 Facebook, Facebook um, PPN Blackfriars, etc. Yeah, PPN Blackfriars as well. They they networking event. Um, so Graham. Some, an interesting point you've made through all of this is that you're working. Yeah. Now, many people, when they come to property events, they're looking to uh, quit the job, get out of the job, do property straight away. And I always say to people, never jump out of the airplane <laughs> and, and then try and build your parachute as you fall. Yeah. You build your parachute in the airplane and then you jump. Yeah. But I'm constantly hearing people say, um, I can't do property because I've got a job. I can't do property because I don't have the time, etc." Actually, on, in reality, there's 168 hours in a week and most people work about 40 to 50 hours a week. I know some people work more, but most people, even if you work 60 hours a week, there's 106, there's still 108 hours free. So some people come to me and they go, I don't, I can't do this because I love my job. I don't want to quit my job. Mm-hmm. And I always say, listen, you don't have to quit your job. You can do property and stay in your job. Yeah. And you're a typical example of this. Cause when I met you 2017, you've got a good job. I won't tell them what you're earning, but you've got a good, he's got a good job guys. He's in a good job. He's in London. He's on a decent salary. He likes his job, but he also had a passion for property. So Graham, um, you've done all of this, you've scaled your business, you've done everything, and you've stayed in your job. Um, is it possible, for people listening in, is it possible to do property and keep your job if you love your job? And if so, um, what advice would you give to people around how they make that work for them? Simply put, absolutely. I'm, I'm the type of the guy, I'm not an and or type of guy. Um, sorry, either or type of guy. I'm an and guy. So how can I have my job and do property? How can I have both types of cake and eat them? So really, it is absolutely possible. But you've got to be very clear on your why you're doing it. And, and the mindset I have on this one here is when people say, I don't have enough time, I'm, I'm afraid to say, you don't have enough time because it's not important enough to you because you don't want it enough. And if you want to actually make it happen, you will make it happen. So I saw a great quote the other day, which, which I think is really good for all entrepreneurs or people who want to do this. It is, um, you use your nine to five to pay your bills and you use your six to 10 to build your empire. And that for me is what I do. So no, I'll tell people my day. I get up at seven o'clock in the morning and I work on my property business from seven to nine o'clock. Nine o'clock, to six o'clock, I spend working on my day job. 
I have a couple of hours in the, with the family in between and afterwards for dinner and things like that. And then from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock, I'm working on my property business again. So because I want to be successful and I will be successful because it's really important to me because I want to do the two things that I love and they will give me the freedom and the joy and everything. Another question just coming out of that, Graham, because you said, I want to be successful and I will be successful. Yeah. Now, this comes down to mindset. Actually, many of our listeners listening in will think you are successful. And the reason I brought you on here is because of a couple of things. One is that you are successful, but two is you're driven. And I knew you were going to say, I want to be successful and I will be successful because what does success mean to Graham Page? And, and, and this is the key point because success is different for everybody. Yeah. Getting three grand, four grand a month, which you're already at, is success for most people. But then when you get there, here's the challenge, because I went through the same thing. Then you want to get somewhere else. So you want to have more or do more or be more. So what does success mean to Graham? Well, actually, it's interesting. As a mindset coach, I've just picked up that I've actually also got a block there because I don't see myself successful yet. <laughs> That's an interesting one. So you've got to be really careful with your language. So where I am, yes, I'm a successful, but I'm not where I want to be yet. That's the key message. So for me, driving that way is really important. So as you said, success for everybody is different, whether it's getting out of their day job, whether it's having enough money to, to go on holiday or to buy grand their house or whatever it is. It's every, different for everyone. You've got to have that why. You've got to have that drive because I'm going to give it straight, folks. It is tough out there and things get difficult and things get hard. But you always fall back on when you have that why and that motivation for when things get hard, when you get a down valuation on your property, when you can't be bothered to ring an estate agent, when it's pissing out with rain outside and you don't want to go for a run. It's your why and your reason of where you want to get to and the reasons it's going to get, what it's going to give you when you get there. That's what motivates you. And I see so many people who say they want something but don't or are not prepared to take the action to actually do it mm. you know so can i t can i tell a story about ppm blackfriars kevin yeah of course so, so the reason why i'm now a host of ppm blackfriars is because kevin posted on something to say would i like to would somebody like to come to masopi for example i think it was and come up come to masopi and i was the only one who said yes and at that point you then dragged me up on stage and at that point it then snowballed if I hadn't have taken that action, I wouldn't have been where I am now. And I didn't know where it's going to go. I didn't know what would happen about, I didn't know you were going to drag me up on stage. I think, you know, I didn't know that you were going to ask me to do this or give me other chances or whatever, or you were testing me. But the thing is, when you're given an opportunity, you have to take it. Sometimes you've got to go, you know, part of my job is a project manager. So I am really controlled and I, and I think about risk. And I think, and I go, the plan is the most important thing. What I've learned with being an entrepreneur is sometimes you just say, what the hell? I'm just going to do this and let's see where it goes. And as a project manager, that's an absolute massive change from being really controlling and everything else like that to go, hey, I don't know where this is going to go. Let's have some fun. Let's see where this goes. Who knows? And who cares? It's a bit of fun. Let's enjoy it. That's the key thing I started doing around 2014 as well. When after a mentoring session with Rob Moore and... I started to say yes, yeah. and then think about it afterwards. Yeah. So in the matter of my way, I just go, yes, I'm doing it, and then think about it. 
And that's how I ended up running the Progressive Property Podcast. Rob Moore messaged me saying, do you want to run the podcast? And I just went, yes. Then went, shit, how am I going to find the time? Exactly. It was another, but you fit it in. Hmm. Uh, it's not thinking about it. And quite often on property deals, I see people that they procrastinate too much about the deal. They find a deal. And instead of just going, yes, I'm going for it. After doing your due diligence, obviously, and checking it out, but they they find a deal, they work the numbers, they know the numbers work. It's in their area. They've done all the research they could do. And then they sit there going, but what if, what if I've missed something? What if this, what if it's wrong? What if, what if I can't find tenants? And it's the what if syndrome. And God, you've done, you've got the knowledge, you've done your numbers, you've done your research, it's in your area, the numbers work. You gotta go, yes, go at that point, rather than the continuous what if stuff. Yeah. So if there's people listening in and they suffer a little bit from that sort of procrastination, Graham, what would you say to them? What's this sort of how do they make sure that they don't make a mistake in a deal, but also um make sure that they don't let it let the fear of making a mistake stop them doing anything? Yeah, so so there's two there's two techniques you can use on that one which are quite powerful. The the first one is to actually go, what if I can't find customer demand? That has taken so so you write down all your concerns or your what ifs. And then you go, what can I do to stop this from happening? So I'm worried that there isn't enough customers. I'm not going to get enough customers in, in, for, my, for my properties. Okay. The way that you can, you can work that out is you go and do your research on Rightmove, on, on Spare Room or whatever it is. You go find out who your customers are and you give them what they want. So you actually can put in place a plan so you don't have to worry about the what if. Because at the minute, what you're doing is you're actually worrying about things that may or may not happen. But the idea is that if you actually, when it comes up, you know exactly what to do. So an example would be, when I did my first triathlon, I thought I'd never get a puncture. I hadn't practiced it. Well, what if I get a puncture? Oh, it'll be fine, blah, 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 be right. I got a puncher. It took me 35 minutes to change that bloody puncher. After that point, I practiced everything and I went to what can go wrong in this deal? What can go wrong on the event? And I went, if this happens, then I'm going to do this, this and this. And if this happens, I do this and this. So you're, you're planning beforehand of all the things that could go wrong. So you already know actually what happens. One of my mentors said to me, what if interest rates go up? So I did my analysis at 12% when I, when I did my first property. 12% interest rates. What if it goes up? Now, they're nice and low. I knew that it still worked at 12%. So if the interest rates went up, what if they go up? Fine, I'm covered. What is my, my point? I, I get, things get a bit nasty. Yeah? It's about 9%. But I know that. The other way of doing it is to actually ask your network, ask a joint venture, ask a mentor, somebody who's been there and done that. You know, Sometimes, you know, an example would be, and I did this with Kevin, was I sat down and I went through my first deal with my mentor. And it was, he sat me down and goes, Graham, the numbers work. You know, you've double and triple counted on certain things here and the numbers still work. Why aren't you going and doing the deal? And it was just that sometimes it's just that second set of eyeballs or have I missed something or that second guessing yourself. And that's when your network and your mentors come in to help you because they can come no. through and go, bang, this, yes, yes. You've missed this. You've missed this. You've missed this. Take that one there. Redo the figures. And, you're, and you've got the answer. You've got the, you've got the answers then, there, and quickly. And that can shortcut you so and save you so much time, worry, and stress to say, pick up the phone and go, Kevin, Graham, what the hell do I do about this? I'm in this pickle. What do I do? And they'll give you an answer straight away. 
So for me, having a mentor or somebody guiding me or that I can pick the phone up, whether it's a mentor or somebody in my network or my power team or my JV partner who can give me a slap and say, you've forgotten this or you're being silly, you don't need to worry about that or we've got this covered, is absolutely one of the key things. So don't do it on your own. Please don't do it on your own. So many people I've known, I've been in property 17 years now and a lot of people I know have lost money where they've done the wrong deal, including me. But also I know people who've lost money because they never did the deal. Yep. Because good deal that they just didn't do. Um, Graham, this has been absolutely awesome. I'm really I'm happy to have you online. Really glad you took the time to join us. Um, I think the audience are going to absolutely love it. What would you say is sort of three tips for people? Uh, yeah, a final top three tips from Graham on um, what they should do if they're looking to get started in their property journey. <laughs> looking to get started. Okay, Num- number one. If Google had all the answers, everybody would be property millionaires by now. You can find some stuff out on there. But to be honest, the thing, if, you're, if you really want to get on your property journey, you've got to do one thing. Get some education. Seriously, get some education. You know, whatever strategy you're interested in, get some education. Because that will turbocharge your journey and you won't make mistakes. And you won't make expensive mistakes like I've made. Second thing I would say is you must, it's all very well spending money on a course, but it's not, you've got to be prepared to take the action and you've got to put in place what you learned. And the third thing I would say is if in doubt you have a network and always ask questions. The reason why Kevin remembers me is because I was that pain in the ass with my hand up all day going, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And then him going, oh, for God's sake, not another question from Graham. Why has that made me successful? Because I was prepared to ask the questions that other people weren't prepared to ask. And I wanted to learn and I want to become a master of my art. And you only get that through asking questions. And, you, and whether that's your network or people you meet, whatever it is, ask the questions and have that network. I always say to people is there's no such thing as a silly question. And it's not that the saying isn't he who asks the right question gets the answer. It's he who asks enough questions cannot avoid the answer. Graham, it's been absolutely awesome. Pre- ple- pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, if anybody wants to hear more from Graham, obviously he's on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. Touch, get, Grab him on there. Um, also, his website is bit.ly forward slash London hyphen sourcing. So, Graham, it's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Progressive Property Podcast. Remember, we're on iTunes and Stitcher. We're out every Tuesday from 7 in the morning. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you um, listen into all the episodes. And also follow Progressive on YouTube. Um, and join the Progressive Property Facebook community. There's over 30,000 like-minded property investors in there now. So sharing their knowledge, sharing their experiences. Get yourself in the Progressive Property Facebook community. I've, I've been Kevin McDonald. You've been absolutely awesome. See you next week. 